Do you consider yourself resilient? And what does that mean to you? In this podcast, Resilient Entrepreneurs with Two for One, we chat with business owners about what resilience means to them, and they share their inspiring stories and life lessons. What we've learned running our own businesses, you're never alone, even when it feels like it. So tune in anytime to this podcast. We're always here for you, celebrating resilient entrepreneurs just like you. We're Lauren Vicky from Two for One, a marketing company for early stage business owners who want to launch, grow, and be resilient. Welcome to Resilient Entrepreneurs, the podcast where we celebrate the inspiring stories of entrepreneurs who have overcome challenges and built successful businesses. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Nick Steiner, the founder of Mini Farm Project Brisbane. Nick is a passionate entrepreneur who's dedicated his life to promoting sustainable living and empowering people to grow their own food. Through Mini Farm Project Brisbane, Nick and his team have helped countless individuals and communities establish thriving mini farms, providing them with fresh organic produce and a greater sense of self-sufficiency. They've also started an incredible giving circle. Listen in for more on this one. Join us as we sit down with Nick to hear more about his story, his struggles, and his tips for building a resilient business. This is Resilient Entrepreneurs, and we're your hosts, Laura and Vicky. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Nick, please, let's start off first things first. You have an incredible giving circle that you've just launched, so we might as well just take it from the top. Tell us about that giving circle and how can everyday people get involved with the incredible work that you're doing? Okay, so I want to change how charities operate and sort of be a disruptor to the charity space. And one of the things that we have in Australia in 2018, we had a whole heap of bushfires. The whole country was on a fire, ablaze. And a lot of charities collected a huge amount of money that still to this day in 2023 hasn't been given to those people who needed it the most. And that's been very impactful for a lot of charities, including ours. And there's a large mistrust in the Australian population with charities. So what we decided to do or what I came up with an idea is to have a giving circle that provides financial transparency to the donor of where the money is spent and how much has come in for that program. And, and they then also get to vote on what farmers built next. And the idea for the giving circle is it's $3.70 per month, which is less than a cup of coffee um, anywhere in Australia. And the idea is that we want to attract 100,000 amazing Aussies to get behind a fight hunger challenge in Australia to actually fund one of our farms a month. And that will allow us then, one acre farm will allow us to produce up to 40,000 equivalent meals. And the donors would be responsible for actually fully funding it, employing people, being part of the process, working with us, being involved in uh, our live operation meetings when we talk about how we plan these, and they get to vote, which is the next one. So it's inclusion and it's also transparency, which I think is probably a world first for most charities to actually involve people on those two levels inside a charity. So 100,000 Aussies paying $3.70 a month will fund... Mm -hmm. How many farms? One acre farm every single month. Incredible. In some cases, it might be two acres. So it just depends on where the land is as well. Sure, sure. And so tell us why you started this whole this whole charity and social impact business. 
Why I got into the charity space? Well, um, it's probably a bit of a midlife crisis, but um, I was in hospitality back in 2010. I thought, let's do something different. And I was at the stage where you're a certain age where no one really wants to employ an older person with opinions and who's set fast in their ways. I thought, well, I've had my own businesses before. I've got to do something myself. And at the stage then, I had a very strong diet with green living, raw foods, that kind of thing, very healthy focused. And I was also wanted to give back to community. So I thought, I like gardening. I like giving back to community. Let's actually create a charity that grows food and we give that to people in need because I want to see people who are in a situation of need get good quality, nutritious food. And the issue that like us talking here now and maybe some of the listeners listening, we're actually nutrient deficient because of the food system that we have at the moment. Now, people who are in a situation of survival or need are actually more depleted than we are. We can't fix the homeless issue, the need issue, without building up the individual to make cognitive decisions because of their depletion factor. So I wanted to make sure that they get fresh fruit and vegetables, make sure that they get fish, chicken, eggs, bush foods and wild edibles and honey, all these things every week for free to our charity partners so they can actually have an abundant uh, nutritious meal uh, while they're in a situation of need and hopefully that assists them moving forward into a better life. So food for you is the answer to all of our woes. Food, yeah, it's diet. It's, gut, it's our gut biome. It's our diet. It's the, the toxins that we're taking in. It's all that gut putty in the cans and stuff. I saw that when I was in, you know doing volunteer work. I'm just saying these people are just getting packets of food and gut putty and it's there's nothing in it. These people actually need proper nutrients and a lot of mental health issues actually stem from nutrient deficiency. You know, we've got a massive mental health problem across the whole planet with all the things that have happened. And we're just depleted with the food. And our, our microbiome is being destroyed by like antibiotics, uh, the junk foods, the, the wheat, how that's harvested, and the four different kinds of wheat that we have on the planet and the GMOs. All these things factor into a chemical structure within the body that doesn't work out in most of the cases. And then we have these depletion events. Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of um, other podcasts that have been talking a lot about this, but you really hit the nail on it when you say about how the more difficult of a life situation we are in, in a financial situation, the more difficult it is to afford healthy food. And then it's just this vicious cycle, right, of unhealthy eating, unhealthy living. So it's incredible what you're doing to, to be a part in the positive turnaround of that. Yep. Yep. Thank you. And the, the impact it will have, I can imagine, is very wide ranging. Yeah. So and you said um, you mentioned that you were living greener and healthier. Are, are you vegetarian? Are you, you know, I, 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 I am, went, which is why I'm asking. I'm, I'm just yep. curious. I, I went through a range of diets. Actually, I went vegan for a while. I have got my um, my my morning smoothie here, which is made out of bananas and kale and dates and a whole heap of minerals and green stuff, which is really great. I went vegan for 18 months I because I was a big meat eater because we're a German family. It's always meat, meat, meat every day. I was like, no, I'm going to see if I can actually do this. So I took the, the vegan challenge. And I went lasted for 18 months. And at the end of it, I was starting to become a little bit, bit wobbly because of the nutrients. I wasn't paying attention to it. But I, I did the challenge and I was actually quite um, happy with myself. It was a good cleanse. We did raw food juicing. The, the, there's some really amazing raw food restaurants in Vancouver and LA that we went to when we were traveling uh, and the, the food quality is just sensational and you can eat quite a lot of it and 
feel good. And you know, when you feel heavy and tired after a normal takeout or a normal restaurant meal, this kind of food was actually really delicious. So I was on a raw food run for a long time. Uh, then I've moved back into meats again because I've got to listen to my body. I did uh, vegan again a second time for one year. And I was very strict and everyone in my family and friends were like, no, you got to have some meat. I was like, no, nope, I'm going to do it right to the last minute. And the last month we went out to a steakhouse of all things and my friends were having steak and I was like, I will eat you if you don't give me some of that steak. I was so hungry. <laughs> my body wanted meat so bad. I was like, no, I'm just going to do the last 30 days and then we'll go to a steak restaurant and have it out. So when you're on certain health diets, you've got to monitor your own nutrients and your own body as well because there is just because it's vegan doesn't mean it's healthy uh and if you're vegetarian uh you're missing certain essential nutrients and vitamins and minerals as well so um i've gone now to a balanced diet where we do have meat but not as much uh but it's more plant-based yeah which is good for the environment too right it's Mm. so many so many good effects in eating a more more plant-based diet for sure but it's good and we talk to um entrepreneurs a lot about habits right? Healthy habits and and morning routines and things that they sort of have incorporated into making their lives better and more balanced. So I, it's it's interesting. We don't talk a lot about diet on this um, podcast, but I'm, I'm always very curious and interested in about how, how to optimize, right? Because I do think that is something that entrepreneurs need to do is optimize because we're limited in, in us and we're often pulled in many different directions and doing all kinds of things, wearing many hats. And um yeah, and it can deplete us in lots of different ways. Exactly, and diets, uh, diets are important. Diet and nutrition are, are fundamental to um, cognitive functioning, especially as an entrepreneur. The level of stress that you go through, and running a charity is like something completely different as well. It's like you've got to have your optimization to be able to function. Yeah. What's your go-to? Is it your morning smoothie? Is it a morning practice? Is it what is it that really just like gets you across the line when you're feeling a little depleted or the charity's just running you ragged? I actually have over the last couple of years been doing a lot of mind science research where it's more uh, meditation, uh, focus, visualization, working in that sort of um, sphere. In the mornings, I'll do my meditation. I do my qigong. I can't live without my green smoothie. That is that just cleans my whole body out. If I have a normal breakfast, I just feel really sluggish. So this is very light. And then it's like rowing and some exercise, basic exercises in the morning uh, really, really get the day started. It's also if you're pre-planning your day the night before, you get up at a certain time. Like sometimes I wake up at 3 or 3.15 in the morning. My body's like, you got to get things done. And then I'm I'm ready to go. So I'll actually miss all my morning exercise and i'll just get smashing straight into getting work done and by about eight which is like five four and a half hours later i would have done half a day's worth of work straight away and then i can do my breakfast and exercise then so it kind of depends on on that sort of flow during the week how, how i sort of uh, lay that out okay how often are you getting up at three thirty in the morning <laughs> about about twice to three times a week oh la la yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it works this for morning you, was obviously. one of them. This morning, yeah. This morning was one of them. So I've already done a, a big day today. The deliveries. Um, I was up at Coolum at six o'clock. I live in uh, Kabulchin. I had to go to Millen Farm. So that was a four and a half hour round trip. So fantastic. Whew. So tell us more about the farms. Um, and in particular, paint the picture of the entire ecosystem. You've started a charity that delivers food for free to the food insecure. 
You also sell coffee to help supplement that. You're also using the farms for other organizations to and institutions to get benefit from. Paint that picture for us so that we have a really good understanding of what Mini Farm Project is about. And then we'll start talking about the vision for its future. Okay, so the underlying word really is value add in our organization. So the idea is we want to make sure that our network of charity farms, which is what we're working to build, has enough value to get interest for donations and grants as a primary source of income, which all charities really work on um, as their model. So they have large um, gift givers, the philanthropists, they have corporate sponsors, they have individuals as well. We want to be more than just a farm growing a potato or a carrot for somebody in need. We actually want to have a community program where we're building community in each area. So the idea for the mini farm project is creating a network of farms from the Tweed or Brisbane all the way up to Cairns along the um, eastern border of Australia, where we're actually working on food insecurity on a local level, region by region. And then we have a stakeholder panel in each region, which is included inclusive of local business owners, individuals, community organizations like the Lions Club and Rotary, uh, other organizations and schools come on board to actually facilitate and help us get into that community to, to build farms because we don't know all the communities up the coast. Uh, that provides community inclusion, what we do, and a sense of ownership and openness about our organization. Then we build um, plan for farms. Like in Sanford, for example, this is the one behind me in the image. Uh, that was partnered with Meals on Wheels. So we get our charities on board as well. Uh, and they helped us fundraise that. So the idea for us is to leverage of all of these organizations' names to build value when a business or an individual sponsors a bed for a year, that actually funds our farm. So in Sanford, we have 70 beds. We sponsor a bed out to a business or an individual or a community group for $2,000. And those that money actually goes to the operation of that farm. And then all that food is then given for free every week to our charity partners. And that's the idea is free food every week to charity. And then the charity creates meals with that food or they give it away in hampers. So at the moment, we're looking at uh, market garden style farms which is based off um, the American market gardeners like the Jean-Martin Fortier, Curtis Stone, Connor Crickmore um, market gardeners uh, in rows, high yield um, crops, short turnaround. We're just wanting to fill people, making sure that the food's coming out. We're also looking at having fish farms, chicken farms, so we can get the eggs. Um, hopefully we can get some orchards so we get the fruit and then we can put the chickens and the guinea fowl in so we have a, a combined ecosystem of the, the the animals to the plants so we can really enrich the soil. We also want to do bush foods as well and have a reconciliation program with traditional custodians in each of the areas that we're in growing their kinds of food. In Australia, um, it's only been 200 plus years that we've had European crops here to sustain the population that's come in. That crop those crops are not actually used to all the major weather cycles over the last 60,000 years that are happening now and in Australia we have some really amazing uh, bush foods that are 30% more nutritious denser with protein and have higher levels of minerals and um, vitamins as well so when we're looking at nutrient deficiency when we're looking at replacement of European crops Australia has really a, an abundance of natural bush foods that we want to incorporate 
which also then becomes a resilience component to a changing climate situation, which we're now facing because all the cycles are changing. And yes, you'll get the, the media a bit hysterical with their propaganda about you know the climate change and things like that. But there is um, a change happening, but it's also we we, we come under the, the cycle process. So it's all cyclical for us. So we're following the cycles, making sure that we're following the patterns because we have to make sure that all of our farms function to continue to grow food. So if the European crops don't work when it's so hot here, because it's actually getting quite warm in the Brisbane area, and we're it's fluctuating now. Uh, Logan, for example, we started planting in uh, late July, early February, and we're getting mixed results in our crop disbursements and growth. They're three weeks behind schedule. Some have popped, some haven't. So it's about finding that right balance with um, the current weather conditions. But these bush foods have been here longer. They're indigenous and they will actually be more resilient and they have more uh, proteins that we need. So these are some of the exciting things that we're looking at. Instead of just growing vegetables and carrots and, and boring radishes, we actually want to have the full plethora of a meal where we can actually give that. So free fish, free chicken eggs, you know, fruits, vegetables, all these goodies um, for charities. And the reason why we do it for free is all charities in Australia actually have to buy food. And we think we can do a better model as opposed to let's not have 10,000 people running around looking for donations so we can actually buy food. It's like, let's give it to them for free. The businesses, communities and individuals sponsor one of our beds. They're the ones actually doing the growing. We become the facilitator and they're the ones making the contribution. So that's how we sort of position ourselves uh, in the charitable market. And then when we have all of our farms, we can then look at vertical farming using client, uh, climate change technology. Um, we have uh, an organization that has shipping container farms that we'd like to use. There's also solar panel water generators that we'd like to have uh, in like the rural areas or the outback where we can self water. And there's a whole plethora of um, different exciting things that we want to work towards to actually make sure that we are making Queensland food secure by our Olympics and then the rest of Australia as well. 2032. Yeah, and sure. so yeah. for $2,000, a business, small or large, can yeah. buy a bed and that's what, good for a year or is it 2000 a month? for a year. So it becomes a tax deductible donation and we recognise the donor for a 12-month period of time. So they get 12 uh, social media posts that they can put on their social media channels going, hey, look what we're doing. Uh, we're actually feeding people in that community. And because you're a customer, you're actually doing that as well. So it's just goes down to the customer level. Uh, then they get um, a plaque on their bed and then we give them regular updates and shout outs as well. So that's one of the ways that we um, we fund. We sell the coffee, which is through Phil DeBella's uh, Coffee Commune in Brisbane. It's a drop shipping service online, so we don't have to touch it. It's just automatically people uh, can order their coffee. And it's, um, actually, I'm not sure if you can see that, but it's really good quality coffee. And the idea for this is we make about ten to fifteen dollars for a bag, so we want Australians to wake up with purpose, simply enjoying their coffee. They can actually fund one of our farms. And when you're looking at the numbers, if we can sell twenty thousand of these bags in like the southeast Queensland or in Australia um, in a month, we can actually fully fund a one-acre farm that produces up to forty thousand equivalent meals in a year. And if these twenty thousand people come back every single month and subscribe. Those 20,000 people over 12 months will have actually created up to 500,000 equivalent meals for charity 
simply by enjoying coffee at home or in the workplace. Those are incredible and numbers. It, it, they are incredible numbers when you look at it. And that's why I was like, wow, this is a great opportunity. So now, now the big challenge is like, we've got to sell this stuff. So, you know, we got to get so people involved in it. So you're looking for 20,000 people to order coffee from you? Yeah. As they and would order it from anywhere else. So why not be exactly. help what's, supporting what's a the, business for good? Yeah, what's the other brand doing for the community? You know, this right. is going straight into a farm. It's employing people. It's feeding people. It's providing programs. Uh, like, for example, Sanford, we're doing a building community program where we've got the University of Sunshine Coast, the University of Queensland involved with a Gardening for Good program. It's a, a dementia um, caring program. So the people we're living with dementia and their carers come to our farm. The students in this the universities do a psych profile over three months and then see if there's any improvement during that time. So it's an inclusion program. And this is what the coffee pays for. It pays for the farm, it pays for the food, it pays for the farm of the inputs, and also for the community to actually come and be involved in what we do as well. That's a big, important component for us. Yeah, I think that's really amazing how you involve so many more than just farmers in the charity that they supply to. It really is where anybody can get involved in lots of different ways and feel really good about the things they're going to do anyway, like you said, about buying the coffee, right? Yeah. They're going to buy, we'll all buy coffee. We, everyone loves coffee and it's a good, it's a good product too. How'd you make the link between coffee and, and, and farming? Like, are you a big coffee person? Where, where did that come from? Well, I don't tell anybody, but I actually don't drink coffee, but um, <laughs> I, I stalked Phil Bella after a business breakfast meeting that I went to, he was doing a presentation. He goes, oh, you know, if you have any questions, just hit me up on LinkedIn, big mistake, number one. Um, and so I did. And then I told him about this charity. We started having a conversation. He started liking our social media a lot more and understanding what we're doing. And then I only met him formally late last year. And he says, look, love to help. There's an opportunity for you that you can actually make more money simply by selling coffee because we're doing a dropshipping service because he runs Coffee Commune, which is a really great sort of hub for coffee enthusiasts and roasters alike to actually to, to do their coffee thing. And we was like, you know what, this is a great idea. 74% of Australians love their coffee. It's a no-brainer. Even if you just try it once, just buy a bag, you can fund a whole farm. And you're not creating one meal. You're actually creating a meal for an entire year. And that's the unique thing about that product is you creating food to feed somebody for a whole year simply by having a cup of coffee. And it's great for home and also for offices. So we're hoping that businesses get behind this and go, hey, you know, we've had this many um, bags of coffee and get some rivalry, you know, between some businesses and things like that to, to, to sell the coffee and have it for their staff where they then actually are creating these farms. And then we have a whole social media thing um, to support that as well, which is really great. Yeah. My goodness. I can see a cafe that's only selling your coffee. I mean, it'd just be an incredible feel good. As Aussies, we do love our coffee and our cafes. And we're also going to have NFTs as well, if you know about digital art. Um, we're actually just putting that onto our Shopify store now, which is going to be really exciting as a different alternative to funding for an entire farm as well. Fantastic. How can people find you? What's what's your coffee called? How do they get a whole, if, if somebody wants to buy your coffee, how do they find okay. it? Yeah, so it's the Mini Farm Blend and it's available on our website, which is mfp.org.au. Just look for our coffee. There's ground and whole beans. And with the ground, there's like 10 different grounds you can actually get. Um, it's all on our Shopify store. 
all automated and um, they can um, choose whatever they like. Super cool. We'll include the link in the in the description so that people yeah, can. Yeah, it's delivered within it. a couple of days. And we do Australia nice. wide. So anybody listening Australia wide can actually order this straight away. And people are like, oh, well, you know, I'm in Western Australia, but it's I want coffee, but you, you're not here. It's like, we're going to be working towards Western Australia. We're going to be working towards Australia wide farms, but we're starting in Southeast Queensland first because obviously this is where we are. Yeah, and you and you've got to start start. How long has this charity been in um, existence? When did you first found it? So I had the idea in 2010. We set up the first farm at the back of my house in 2014 because we had um, yeah. we built a new house here in Burpengary and it was beautiful green grass in the back. And then I converted it into one of these farms um, out there. And then we registered the the charity in 2015. Once all the processes and you know making sure that I'm not crazy and this will actually work, which it did. Then because I was doing full time work at the same time, I was doing this. We then set up three farms in Brisbane. We had a grow bag farm in Cooparoo, which was showing that we can grow food anywhere in Brisbane because there's a lot of land that's actually toxic or contaminated in the Brisbane area because of the floods and all the industrial chemicals that have been going through the asbestos. Uh, we also did a uh, raised garden bed farm in industrial estate in Mullingabba, which is in uh, the IBC tanks cut in half. Uh, and then we also used existing garden beds in a business center in Spring Hill as well to grow food. So the idea back then was to have volunteer farms in the dead center of the city to actually grow food that's given to charities. So we use local volunteers. On weekends, we had up to 20 people per farm, which was really exciting coming along because it's two minutes away from your home. Unfortunately, COVID killed all that in 2020. And also I lost my job at the same time. So we pivoted and then we started these larger farms around the periphery of the city. Obviously, we can grow more food, but now we employ a full-time farmer, a casual farmer to actually run and manage those. So I don't actually have to do that. I can work on building that network, building the community and getting more people interested in what we do. Yeah. Are you still getting your hands dirty, though? Do you still go out and, and help yeah, I pick the carrots? Yeah, I, do. I, I don't know if it's helping. I'm probably more <laughs> of a hindrance to our farmers, but um, I um. Um, on Wednesdays, I go out and do all the packing for the orders. We They, they clean them, so we pack it in all of our boxes because we sell some of what we grow to wholesalers and our retail customers. So I'm the one that does all the boxes. I do most of the deliveries as well. And then sometimes I'll fumble around and help weed or plant some seedlings when one of the farmers needs me. Yeah, nothing quite like that, is there? Like just getting your hands dirty and, and getting in there. I, I love it. It's, it's an amazing office. And this is one of the other exciting things the with this charity is like I'm running this charity from a laptop and a mobile phone out of my kitchen. There's no buildings. When we have a farm, our team who hopefully will be able to employ more people in the future, they'll be working on the farms. And if we have admin staff, they can remote in or they can work at, you know, a shipping container in one of our farms, which is it gets them out of the house as well, gets them out of the office. And we're back into balance with nature. It's a really important thing. So if we're giving free, if, good quality food to people, we need to have good quality staff as well. So having that outdoors thing, working in the soil, touching um, the plants, it's really important for our bioelectric body. Nick, tell us where you see this organisation, your work being in, let's say, five years' time. What's the bigger picture vision here? Okay. My big, hairy, audacious goal is to have over 100 charity farms from Brisbane to Cairns in the next five to 10 years, uh, then extending down into New South Wales to Sydney and then moving west into the rest of Australia. 
And then I want to NGO and have an international organization in other countries as well. Doing the same thing. Doing the same thing. It's local food, local people, climate resilience, sustainability. It's all local and uh, niche stuff. So we want to do domestically because a lot of charities send money overseas and there's a lot of resentment about that. So we want to have that as a separate thing. But then we also want to do international where we can actually learn from other cultures their gardening and farming types, then we can incorporate that into other areas as well. So there's an exchange of knowledge, but then we can also help them as well if they're, they're depleted in sort of knowledge uh, bank as well. And we've talked about an individual being able to buy a bag of coffee. We've talked about an organization or a small or medium business being able to pay $2,000 for a year to support you. Do you also have significantly larger corporations backing you? Do you get government grants? Are you getting like significant funding in from those kind of sources? At the moment, we don't. We do get grants. Uh, we've just applied for the gaming fund for $100,000 for our new Ramiran farm. Hopefully we'll get that, fingers crossed. But it's a knife fight now with um, other charities because everyone's looking for the, the dollars because it's really hard. Uh, we do have a program where we're looking at larger philanthropists to come behind. Larger businesses can actually fund an entire farm and then they have all the benefits involved with it becomes XYZ company growing food for those in need, another mini farm project. So they go, you know, here's a whole heap of money, fund the farm, develop it, we employ all the staff, they get all the naming rights for it, their staff can come down and do all the volunteering and that actually becomes part of their culture of their organization that ticks their ESB, ticks the culture, um, the climate initiative, click, clicks the boxes of inclusion, uh, resilience, uh, and all those processes simply by funding an entire farm as well. So we do have these larger products that we do. What I would really like to see in the future is to have those uh, American camps that the like the Australians grew up on the movies where the American kids used to go to those camps for six weeks Camp Kugunagara or something like that with the yellow buses that take them there and they all live in those um, the huts and they do activities what I'd love to do is have that here in Australia where we actually have Australian camps or not work camps but like farms where the kids can actually come like the American version but they actually work on the farm they learn life skills, they learn sewing, they learn how to interact with one another. It's inclusion-based. They drop their lives at the door and they just give of themselves and they learn how to participate in community and also help the less fortunate at the same time by simply working on the fields, interacting with animals, and then also eating the produce that's actually grown at that farm. So we break the cycle of that junk food, we're giving them nutrients, and we're giving them a really good healthy start to, to something amazing. So I'd love to have a number of centers across Australia where we actually do the summer camps or the winter camps. Oh my God. As a parent of two kids, I'll tell you that sounds incredible and something so needed. Kids these days are only on tablets and computers and technology and are yep. so far away from nature and from growing food and understanding that cycle. They only see food come out of the refrigerator, you know, maybe a grocery store, but that's about it. Otherwise they have no clue where it comes from. You know, mom just yeah, buys exactly. it and it's there. Yes. So, it, lamb comes from a sh shopping center, you know, it's like, no, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Just understanding that and, and getting in touch with nature. I can see kids and that will develop, I think a future love for that, for land, mm -hmm. for gardening, for um, growing food and for helping the impact is just phenomenal. Just yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. 
So tell us, because not all this is easy and running a charity is very challenging. What are some, um, you know, major, major moments you've had where maybe you've said, I, I don't, this, I'm crazy. I gotta, I gotta quit. This is, this is bananas. This is, I don't want to do this anymore. Have you had any of those? Yeah. On a regular basis. Sometimes I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing? Like I'm trying to get all this stuff done. And I think it's because I'm a bit of an idealist. I live in a Star Trek world where everyone wants to contribute and, you know, improve themselves and it's all lovely and fairy tales and things like that. And then, you know, you look at the reality and I get frustrated because other people don't see it, but that's because I'm a creative mind person with being a founder. I'm living a different parallel to most people. So that's my frustration. I have spat my dummy, so to say, a couple of times on farms. And one significant time was actually when we were in a Brisbane, one of our Brisbane farms. I was like, damn, this is not working. I threw my tools out. I was like, done. I went to the gate, locked up the farm. I was like, I'm going home because I'm angry now. So it shut down. But when I was doing that, an old gentleman came around the corner and goes, you know what? I've been walking past here for the last couple of weeks. And I just wanted to let you know you're doing a really good job. And I was like, okay, so the universe just caught me going, yeah, you need a little pat on the back, stop crying, get back to work. <laughs> you know, so these are the kind of things that um, you've got to be intuitive about. But I think it's important to, to, to dummy spit sometimes or just reflect and go, this isn't working. How do I, how do I move through this? Because sometimes you get in the way of your own creation and you go to step back a bit. You go pull back um, quite a lot. For me, hospitality was like, do the work, do the work, do the work, get done, get done, get done. Now it's about let's actually let this flow. Let the people come in, chill back a little bit and stop getting in your own way because you're actually making this the process work. And if you're looking at the mind sciences and the flow and working with ether, it's all about let's go back to spirit and calm, let's center ourselves and let's let the thing work itself out as opposed to you prodding and poking around and making it actually worse. So that's a good identifier that I've learned over the last uh, 10 years uh, doing this. Yeah. Sometimes as a CEO, you've got to step back and which you can be sometimes the hardest thing, right? It can be the hardest thing to do. Yeah. And you've sure. got to take a day off because you're just killing yourself, you know? Oh, that's hard to do. That is hard to do as a founder of any organization or business is to take yep. actual breaks, time off, rest, to be able to reset and go again. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Any advice for people out there that might, um, like you have a big vision of a world that they want to improve on and see a niche where they can actually make an impact, but they don't know where to start. Like how does someone start? What, what do they need to know? What do you wish somebody had told you even? What I did was I came up with an idea on paper and then I spoke to somebody about it and they were like, oh, another crazy Nick idea. And I was like, okay, fine. Then I actually went out and did it. I just built the farm. I was like, now here's my, I just did it. Here's my idea in manifest. And then they saw it and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Now we see. Um, I find if you just do what it is that you want to do, even if it's a scale model, something tangible that people can see, the share and understand, you'll get that buy-in, which then fuels you as um, an entrepreneur or CEO or a founder to actually move to the next step. And one important thing for me is to have somebody that's close to you that you can confide in and go, am I a mental patient by thinking this is going to be a good idea? And you want full hard truth from that individual go, yeah, you are, it's not going to work. And then if you still want to do it, you just go and make it happen. But that person there is a supporter to you. I think everyone 
like myself, that creative mind, we're all a little bit touched. We just need that grounding occasionally where somebody just goes, hang on, let's have a look at this way. I'm here 100% to support you because we need that tether to support as well. Otherwise, you're alone. And you can't build when you're alone. You need somebody next to you to help. That's probably my recommendation to anyone starting out doing this is just to have that one trusted friend or person or mentor even just to give them that little bit of inspiration and help and just go. And then just do the idea. Like for me, I built my first farm in my backyard. I worked through the processes. I told people about it. And then I burnt my ships, so to speak. I, I wasn't going back. I was like, this is where I'm going. And I told every human being that I ever met, goes, I'm starting a charity. This is what I'm doing. If I fail, I'll fail on these merits because I'm burning the, the ships. I'm not going back. This is the way forward. So it's a mindset thing. And if anyone's interested, have a look at the mind sciences, read about meditation and creative visualization. That just strengthens your vision. And it also strengthens your inner self by maintaining calm and focus and breathing to make sure that you can get through the stress into the next step as well. I feel more peaceful just hearing you talk about it. And I'm <laughs> actually not just being silly about it. it. Really, it's a true thing. You tap into your inner wisdom and it really gets you through so much. So we like to ask people on this podcast what resilience means to them. But I want to ask you a slightly different question. And that is, how do you build resilience in your world with everything that you have going on and this massive vision that you're achieving? I think it's community for me, building networks of people who buy into my vision, which is a reinforcement. And then they go out and talk about it to others as well. And that's how we've grown organically by me talking to people and they're going, hey, this crazy guy's got an idea about all these farms and all this stuff and let's let's get behind him. That's kind of what I do is I involve others in what we do. I champion others. And you'll see also in our social media photos, I'm not in every photo. And I do that deliberately because it's not about me. It's not about my ego. It's about others so I champion others and it's about having that community around me to keep me going that's my energy that's my fuel and seeing people on the farm volunteering and then when I do deliveries to charity seeing the charities going wow thank you very much I appreciate that and seeing the people eat that food really fuels me as well it just keeps me going yeah seeing the impact I mean that's the great thing about what you do is, is you're very close to who you are impacting by, by what you do. Well, it's been an amazing conversation and it's so inspiring um, talking to you, Nick, and, and everything you've accomplished so far. And I see your vision. I, I see your vision and I, I, I manifest that for you because I think it is not even far off. And I think we'll have a conversation again, hopefully sooner than later, and you'll have more to update and more great things because the, it makes sense and it's simple and it's impact driven. I don't see why people wouldn't get on board. So we're excited to share this podcast, your story, what you're doing with the greater audience. And, um, you know, we'll share how to get a hold of you and how to, you know, join in this mission um, with Nick and the Mini Farms Project. And um, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. 
So thanks for joining us on Resilient Entrepreneurs. We're Laura and Vicky from Two for One. We love supporting entrepreneurs, especially with mindset, marketing, and motivation, which is why we've built an incredible community of business founders who meet weekly in the Level Up League. If you'd like to know more about it, look us up at 241branding.com.